0: Finding Purpose and the Pain, One Adoptee's Journey from Heartbreak to Hope and Healing, an Audible Memoir by Pamela A. Caranova. Chapter 8, Transporting Trauma. Trigger Warning, Suicide, Physical Abuse. Approximately six to eight hours after trying to leave this world, I woke up with a hazy and sluggish feeling all over my body and my mind. I remember lying in bed thinking, damn, I woke back up. Wasn't I supposed to be meeting the devil at the gates of hell right about now? I could hardly believe it. Looking back over that time in my life, one of the most shocking things is that hell seemed like a better solution than living in my reality on earth. That is tremendous because I knew I was going to hell for everything I had done to deserve it, but I didn't care because I was drowning in my sorrow. I just wanted the pain to go go away. Does this give the world a small glimpse of how significant my adoptee pain was? possibly for those that want to try to understand. I was crushed that I woke back up. I didn't want to wake back up, and I had this enormous feeling of guilt that came over me that I couldn't even kill myself right. I felt like a total failure, despite all the other feelings I was dealing with. I quickly clung to the bottle and drank myself out of my misery, morning, noon, and night. Drinking alcohol was the only way I could survive the pain I was feeling. For 27 years, it allowed me to not feel, but it also opened up a whole new world of other problems that that I would have that had lifelong consequences. Most people won't understand this, but at times over the last five years, I've been presented with a question on various social media platforms that says, if you were to tell your younger self something, what would you tell them? Sadly, the first thing that always comes to my mind, even at 47 years old, is take more pills. Still to this day, I feel like if I could have found a way out, I wouldn't have had to live with a lifetime of excruciating pain. I wouldn't have had passed on my pain to my kids and had so much to recover from. But instead, I would just be gone with no legacy to leave other than a dead, deeply troubled adoptee and one that is nothing more than a menace to society. However, the universe had other plans for me. I wish i could say i figured this out in my teenage or young adult years however it would be a long time before i understood this you would think this experience changed me but what changed me the most is that i tried to kill myself and not one single person knew about it or noticed i felt like no one on earth cared about me it's a hard pill to swallow i didn't get better but i continued to spiral out of control I ended up taking Giovanni back and our relationship was rocky, but we both confessed our love for one another. I won't go into all the details of every dynamic of abuse I experienced with him, but it was a lot. We were both troubled and were constantly getting arrested for fighting. Eventually, I ran away so much and I continued to break the law that I found myself in a group home called Foundation 2. During my time at Foundation 2, I remember liking the structure there, just like I did when I was locked in drug and alcohol rehab. I remember staying several months, going home, and acting out repeatedly. Unfortunately, Giovanni was back in jail, and we were separated again. I know Patricia looked at our time apart as a positive thing, but all I wanted was to be with Giovanni. When I say I loved him, I loved him. When I was 16, Patricia started talking about moving to Lexington, Kentucky, because she had a friend who lived there. So she planned a visit to look at jobs in the city. We arrived, spent five days sightseeing around Lexington, and saw the beautiful horse country we would soon call home. I remember having mixed feelings about the move because I would be leaving the state where I hoped to find my birth mother. Wouldn't it be more challenging for us to find one another states away? But of course, I knew the answer was yes, and I always wondered if this was part of Patricia's plan and she wanted me to leave Iowa, because I never stopped asking about finding my birth mother. I would never give up on finding her, no matter what state I was in. I was also conflicted because I would be leaving Giovanni, and I have always felt like that was a part of Patricia's plan as well. While he was locked up, we wrote each other letters constantly, and I started to keep a collection of his letters in a big box, and after some time, I filled it up. I would read them repeatedly, and they were in my most prized possession. We would sometimes write to each other daily, sometimes receiving multiple letters each day. We hoped we we hoped we would be back together again one day, and until then, we knew that even when we were separated by distance, we would always be in each other's hearts. I hadn't seen Thomas, Laura, or Melanie or the boys in a long time when I stopped going for weekend visits. Our time spent together tapered off into nothingness. We packed up a 22-foot U-Haul and arrived at our new three-bedroom home in Lexington, Kentucky in the fall of 1991. I didn't know a single person in the whole town, but I was always great at making new friends anywhere I went. I think Patricia had hoped I would turn a new page removing Giovanni from my life and luring me away from Cedar Rapids, where I was always in nonstop trouble combined with constant alcohol use. The thing is, I was still dealing with the same issues, but the only thing that had changed was my surroundings. I was 17 years old in a new city, and she was back working the night shift again. The summer of 1992 rolled around, and the new Dr. Dre, the Chronic album, had just come out. What did that mean? If you don't know, never mind. It was about to be on and poppin' in the city of Lexington, because one thing was for sure, I was the life of the party anywhere I went, and I was always ready to get the party poppin'. I was expected to roll into an all-new high school that was predominantly black, and being a white girl from Iowa, and I started to make new friends one by one. However, my time at Bryan Station was short-lived. Patricia must have forgotten that I hated regular school, so I dropped out within a month, and at 18 years old, I was a high school dropout. However, I attended long enough to make new friends, and I made friends with some of the neighbor kids close to me. I think my mind did sway a bit regarding the nagging desire to find my birth mother, but I feel that's only because I was living in a new city with new friends and I had new things to do. The deep-rooted abandonment was always there, but drinking daily forced it to take a back seat. I remember going to my first party with my friend Dorothy, who lived down the street from me. I didn't know her that well, but after a while, I learned that we ended up at a crack house in East End. I remember being offered the drug and trying it. I would do anything to get out of my mind. It didn't affect me, so I tried some more. I drank until the sun came down, sitting in a crack house surrounded by people I didn't even know. I wanted to belong and to be a part of something, so I was along for the ride. While the evening would wind down, everyone at the party was just getting started. So I decided I wanted to split, and although we didn't have cell phones back then, I was pretty sure I could walk home and find my way. I set off to walk home through East End and ended up waking up in the Fayette County Detention Center with a public intox charge. At 18 years old, I graduated from juvenile jail to the big house, and I remember not feeling anything about this reality. Once again, I felt disconnected from my body and did not care if I lived, died, or woke up in jail. The internal hate I had for myself only traveled to Kentucky with me. While While I know Patricia thought she was doing the right thing, my troubles only followed me, but now I was an adult and my actions had real life consequences. I called some of my neighbor kid friends who were close friends of mine and they had a brother who was 19 years old. They all piled up and came to get me out of jail. I was drinking the same day and didn't learn a damn thing. Patricia kept nagging me to get my GED or go back to school, but I shot down every attempt at a conversation, expressing that there was no point in returning to school, because in my mind, the world was going to end. I was profoundly depressed, but masked every bit of this with drugs and alcohol. Finally, she nagged me to start therapy, and at 18, I decided to try it. During round 382 of therapy, I sat in a new therapist's office once again, but unfortunately, all the feelings I had pondered deep inside about my birth mother, my sadness, my grief and loss still never made their way into the appointment with the new therapist. When we make our adoptive parents' dreams come true to be parents, our feelings of sadness are automatically stuffed deep inside. It's known in a very subtle way that feelings that aren't positive, thankful or grateful aren't welcome. For me, there was a block there, and I don't know how else to explain why adoption or the implications of separation trauma were, once again, never discussed. The therapist never brought it up or addressed it, so neither did I. To this day, I can't wrap my brain around why adoption was never discussed at all in the therapist's office. I sat throughout my whole entire life. The therapist detected that I was suicidal and I had no hope for the future. Duh. I did express that I never got along with Patricia, and I felt comfortable sharing with her all the things Mark did to me growing up, and why I decided to stop going to Thomas and Laura's house. This was the first time I had shared this with anyone. She encouraged me to call Thomas and Laura while I was in her office to tell them about the childhood sexual abuse Mark is responsible for. She also wanted me to tell Patricia, so I did. While speaking to Thomas and Laura on speakerphone with the therapist, I expressed to them vague details of my experience with Mark, and they said they didn't know why he would do such a thing, but they would reach out to his therapist and bring this topic to the table to get him some help. They speculated that maybe Mark was being sexually abused by the Catholic priest at the church they used to drop us off at. No one knew, but they assured me they would address it with Mark. I didn't get any resolve out of this other than bringing the secret to light and finally telling them what happened no one asked how this impacted me or my life or if i needed help with healing a big piece of me feels that they wanted to blame my outbursts on acting out on the childhood sexual abuse alone omitting adoption and separation trauma from my birth mother as even being a thing how convenient of them everyone seemed to sweep this under the rug and we never discussed it again Finally, when I told the new therapist I thought the world was going to end, she prescribed me Prozac and sent me on my way. I took the Prozac for a week and threw it in the trash. I never went back to that therapist again. Not long after moving to Lexington, I learned Giovanni was arrested for burglary, kidnapping, and aggravated assault, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison in California. We still rode off and on and professed our love for one another, but we tapered apart due to his lengthy prison sentence. He served 16 years, got out, and is currently back in prison as a persistent felony offender serving federal time. I ended up in another abusive relationship that resulted in a broken nose, stitches between my eyes, and two black eyes. When people say you attract what you are and how you feel about yourself, they aren't lying. I felt horrible about myself, and I attracted horrible men. Again, I numbed the pain with more drugs and alcohol. I was further away from finding my birth mother than I ever had been, and I had little hope she would, I would, that I would ever find her. Deep down, sadness and despair were masked with the fake smile and the party over at Pam's. Unfortunately, I had never healed from all the trauma I had experienced. Even transporting me to a new state with a new school and new friends, my unresolved, unhealed separation trauma and adoption trauma wounds transported with me. However, the other traumas from Patricia, Diego, Mark, and Giovanni compacted the root traumas. I was a walking dead woman feeling hollow and empty inside. At 18 years old, I continued to find my way in the party lifestyle, and I made several mistakes and bad choices along the way. I was going down a path of destruction, and most days, I didn't care if I lived or died. I hated myself, the world, and everyone in it. I had so much anger and rage that it consumed me. However, I always felt like my life would end early, and at this stage, I hoped that it would. The views and opinions expressed in this article memoir and podcast are that of the author pamela a caranova reproduction of the material contained in this publication may be made only with the written permission of pamela a caranova